<clears throat> I'm delighted to bring you the Word of God this morning, and uh, I am, I never cease to be amazed at the greatness of the providence of God on display so much of the time when we come to worship and I prepare a sermon and I hear um, somehow God's providence at work when uh, I hear Joel get up and do the confession and assurance and it seems to um, actually be um, an introduction, an overview of the sermon. <laughs> Very fitting. Um, and we did not conspire together to do that. <laughs> but uh, God put our minds on the same track. That's a beautiful thing. We will be looking this morning at uh, uh, continuing in our series in Colossians 3, uh, 5 through 11. But uh, I'm going to go ahead and back up and start in verse 1. Uh, because we need to see that broader context and how the two are interwoven together and how the one really flows out of the other. Um, we need to see, first of all, what we already have, the already that we have in Christ that was established a couple weeks ago in the message. And then, uh, um, so that out of that, we are able to live into that and... Uh, as we experience the not yet, as we work toward that and the actual practice in our lives, applying that truth to it. So, join me as I read uh, this passage this morning, uh, but before we do that, uh, let's pray and ask God's uh, blessing on it, on the reading of His Word. Father, pour out your Spirit on us this morning. Take these words of yours, apply them to our hearts in a way that transforms us more and more into the image of Christ. Pray in Jesus' name, amen. So Colossians 3, <clears throat> starting at verse 1. Since then, you have been raised with Christ, Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of, the, of God. Set your minds on things above, not on things, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways, in the life you once lived. But now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, 
and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. So far, the reading of God's Word. So this whole passage that I just read highlights the significance of the preeminence and the centrality of Christ to everything in our lives, including our sanctification, which is really what the rest of this is speaking to. If Christ is truly at the center, above all, this is what it looks like in our daily lives. What we have in verses 5 to 11 are the transformations that must take place over time because of the truth of what we already have in Christ presented in actually not just these previous verses that we just read, but also in the first chapters, uh, in the first two chapters, and then how this brings, has brought to a climax, is brought to a climax in verses one to four above. Preached on a couple weeks ago by Rick Evers. And then wrapped up in verse 11. And verse 11 sets the stage for everything else that follows in the letter that shows what having Christ at the center looks like in our personal lives and in community and the body, which Joel will be addressing in a couple weeks. I wanted to include the previous verses to show how this is the fitting response to setting our hearts and minds on the lofty things above much like verse 10, excuse me, much like the Ten Commandments. They're, basically, they're a response to the statement that preceded them. I am the Lord, your God, who delivered you. And so we respond to that in obedience. And so basically what God gives us there is an act of His grace because we are already delivered. So the commandments are really living into that. To a God who loves us and who has delivered us. Or much like the therefore in Romans 12, 1, that is in response to the conclusion of all 11 chapters that went before and concluded with a statement in verse 36, for from Him and through Him and for Him are all things. To Him be the glory forever. Amen. And so he goes on then in chapter 12, verse 1, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. So, what do we do with such a heavy list of sins? Actually, 
two lists that describe our sinful nature. And I'm not even going to go into the detail on those particular sins. Otherwise, we, we would be going on for quite some time. We could basically categorize them into two groups. One, the first one we could we really call a self-indulgence, mostly sexual sins, and then there's greed added to that, which again is just the flip side of self-indulgence. And then there's these relational sins in terms of how we react to one another. And of course, we're thrown into a whole batch of people that are listed here, so, you know, Gentile, Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, or free. <sighs> Pull all them together, and a lot of baggage is brought together, and there's going to be reactions. And Paul say, don't go there. There's something better way. So Paul tells us right at the beginning, then, how we are to deal with those sins. How do we respond to those sins? Well, he says in verse 5, he says, Put to death, therefore, what belongs to your earthly nature. Because he says, you know, our mindset should be on heaven. Well, if our mindset is in heaven, then we need to put to death what belongs to the earthly nature because it doesn't belong there. And then in verse 8, he says, rid yourselves. He says it another way. Rid yourselves of all such things as these. And then he gives that next list. So basically, he's saying, kill it. Wipe it out. You could probably come up with a number of ways of saying the same thing. Shut it down. Cut it off. Squeeze it out. Smother it. Destroy it. Or just get rid of it once and for all. That's what we'd really like to do, wouldn't we? But why do we need to do this? Well, here's why. Because of what we already know from verse 3. We died. We died to it. That's God's perspective on it, you see. That's where God placed us in relationship to these things because of our union with Christ. We died and now are alive in Christ who is seated above in the heavens. And in verses 9 9 and 10 repeats that same idea this way, that we have already taken off the old self and have already put on the new self. And so while he's addressing these things, he's already saying, you see, that you're already heading in that direction. Many of you also, I'm sure, know probably by memory, maybe in different translations than this, 2 Corinthians 5.17, which has the same idea. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... There's that idea again of being in Christ. The new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. That's our standing. If we have a mindset 
fixed on Christ, seated above, then we know whatever describes our sinful earthly nature does not belong there. And therefore, it does not belong in us here either if we are headed there and preparing to be there and to have a mindset for it. While the penalty of sin is taken away and we have been given a new nature, that old nature still raises its ugly head to tempt and to entrap us. And this is why we need to keep putting it to death. And from verse 4, we should ask, what does a life that appears with Christ in glory look like? What does that look like? See, the earthly nature doesn't fit it. What belongs to the earthly nature in verse 5 does not fit with a heart and mind set on heavenly things, which is righteous and pure and holy and transformed in the image of God without any sinful flaw. The second reason we are to put the products of the earthly nature to death is that they are the reason the wrath of God is coming. But since we have been delivered from the wrath to come through the blood of Christ, and our lives are hidden with Christ and God, wrath can't find us. Wrath can't find us. In verse 7, puts it in the past. You used to walk in these things, in these ways, in the life you once lived. But now, <laughs> no, that's not true. See, that's the doctrinal truth of our judicial standing with God. So we need to make it the practical, experiential truth that we live into daily. So here's the question. We'll be up on the slides. So then the next logical question is this. How do we put to death and rid ourselves of what does not belong? What does not belong to that life that appears with Christ in glory? As I meditated on this passage and saw the flow and the, and, and the loftiness of what went before, it occurred to me uh, that there are four things that, uh, that we could practice, could make a big difference in killing that sinful nature, putting it behind us. Call it four R's. <laughs> when we have the three R's, why have four R's? First one <clears throat> is remember what a difference 
it makes when we remember that Christ is at the center of everything to us and that He is everything to us and for good reason. This is why in verses 1 to 4 sets the stage for us to remind us of our position in Christ that we died with Him and that we are raised with Him. Verse 11 concludes with a reminder that no matter what we are in this world, Gentile, Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, or free, Christ is all and in all. Reminding us that our relationship to Him is what matters. And it transforms everything about our relationships with everyone else. What Jesus is to us is all that matters. And to remember that assures us of victory over sin. Repentance as a daily practice keeps us on track, reinforcing a mindset against sin. It is itself an act of faith, dependent on God's mercy. Sometimes we think that we start with confession and then repentance follows. Actually, if, uh, if we repent, then we have true confession as a result. True confession, you see, is agreeing with God, is saying the same thing about our sin that God says. Confession, agreeing with God about our sin, results from a mind that has already had a change in its attitude toward that sin. And a heart that is so moved with grief over it that the will acts upon it, putting words to it, and then following that up with obedience. Repentance, when we make it a life habit, is a powerful means of choking off. There's another word for it. (laughs) Choking off the sin. That's the value of repentance. And when we, re- when we repent, and with repentance we open a pathway to renewal and renewal of our minds, resulting in the transformation of our lives more and more into the image of God, the, God, the image that God made us to be. Verse 10 seems to indicate that those in Christ are already headed that way. He says, that, he says that we have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. That's where we start. And we remember back earlier, that was part of God, Paul's prayer for us, that we grow in that knowledge of God and the knowledge of his will. Paul expresses it again this way in Romans 12, 2. 
Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. And then renewal relies on knowledge of God and knowledge of His will that comes through saturating, saturating ourselves in the Word of God. Sometimes I think of, you know, there's a lot of ways that we can saturate ourselves in the Word of God. This morning, you know, hearing the Word of God preached, hearing the Word. Another way that helps it penetrate deeper is as you're hearing it, also reading it. Reading the Word of God. Read it daily. Read it often daily. Study it. Study it deeply. Just soak it in. Ask questions. Examine it. Cross-reference it. Get to really know it. Make it yours. Meditate on it. Interact with God on His Word in prayer. Memorize it. Soak it up. Saturate your lives with the Word of God. We saturate our lives with the Word of God. Putting what we learn then into practice. See, that is not just to fill our minds with information and knowledge. The purpose of the Word of God is to transform our lives. So we need to put into practice what we already know so that we grow through it into the image of Christ. And we generally know something better when we make a regular use of it in actual practice more than if we just read about it. So it takes practice in order to mature in it. To really know God requires spending time with Him, and to know His will comes from doing what we already know of it. If you want to seek God's will in anything, start with doing His will in the areas that you already know. We are helpless to succeed in any of this apart from the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. After all, our sanctification forth our relies on the Spirit. It's a reliance on the Spirit of God with our dependence on and submission to Him. We must therefore rely on the Spirit of God at all times or else we are on our own, stagnated where we are, or worse, falling backwards into what does not belong, that earthly nature. We cannot make it on our own. And if we think that we can, you know, fight flesh with the flesh, we're going to be defeated by the flesh. We need reliance upon the Holy Spirit to overcome and to defeat, to cut off and to destroy that sinful nature.
Paul admitted how constant this struggle is in Romans 7. He said, although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. And he goes on, he says, oh, a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? But then he goes on and says, thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. And then he adds this. This is, launches him into the eighth chapter and he goes on from there. He says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. <laughs> there it is. Set free from the law of sin and death. No wonder we need to rely on the Spirit of God. That's where our hope is. Galatians 5 speaks directly to this issue of putting to death the old nature that does not belong to us. It says, so I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify desires of the flesh. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh. Oh, there's another word for it. Crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So, since we live by the Spirit, let us Keep in step with the Spirit. So there you have it. So if we kill, so if we are to kill off every part of the earthly nature and rid ourselves of harmful attitudes and practices, then we must remember to set our minds on what we have in Christ that He is our life, that He alone is everything to us, and we are dead to everything that does not belong above, that does not belong above, and that we must also constantly and quickly repent of sin, to train ourselves to have a mindset against it, to cut it off, and to run from it, and to keep us on course. Let's keep renewing our minds to conforming to God's Word, choking out anything contrary to it. And that does not fit that course that we're on toward heavenly things. While all the time relying on the Holy Spirit who really is the one who does the sanctifying work in us while we work out our salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. Transforming us into the image of our Creator as we grow in the knowledge of God and His will. So, Christ at the center changes everything. There is grace and there is power there. 
Let me summarize what we looked at with just this statement and see if you can follow this. The loftier our thoughts are of Christ, the loftier our thoughts are in Christ, the greater is His preeminence to us. The greater is His preeminence to us. The deeper will be our devotion to obedience. And the grander our anticipation of the complete and final death of the presence of sin itself. And we will chase after it with our whole hearts because Christ is everything to us. You pray with me. Oh Lord, let it be so that you are all in all, that you are everything to us, that that drives us, that calls us upward. Oh Lord, set our hearts and our minds on you. Set our hearts and minds on things above so that we flee from the earthly things that want to entrap. Oh Lord, we know that you will. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen.